one person in a comment, he goes, why are you trying to make the future a better place if you won't experience that future? Hmm. And it's like, bro, you are so missing the plot. So one, as Simone said, we have a different iteration of how we see ourselves. And that's key. If I lived for, let's say, 100,000 years, right? I would be such a radically different person at the end of that period that there is no way I would have any meaningful connection to who I am today. Yeah, it's pointless. It's pointless. The person you're going to be in even 10 years is not going to be you. So why are you trying to preserve it? Like, yeah, and if just... I did try to preserve it, if I did successfully preserve it, if in 100,000 years I was meaningfully the same person I am today, well, then I didn't improve. Yeah. I didn't better myself and I shouldn't still be around. I am a pointless, wretched thing if I improve so little over 100,000 years that I am still recognizable as a Malcolm. That is sad and sickening. And so why do I care that I can't see the better world that I'm trying to create? It is a world not meant for me. It is a world that I would sully with my very presence. Moses on the mountain, you are not meant to live in the promised land because you are wretched. Mm. You are trying to lead the way for the people who will get to experience the promised land because they deserve it in a way that not a single person alive today does. Would you like to know more? Welcome to Basecamp, where one person has a conversation with themselves two times over, once as themselves and once in drag. <laughs> I'm Malcolm Collins, dressed as a woman. And this with me here today is Malcolm Collins. He's also Collins. Malcolm Collins, but this time dressed as a man. Yes. I would love it if we pretended that's what our show was. <laughs> like we convince people that it really is just one person with a synthesizer talking to themselves. Yeah. So we wanted to talk about maxing because this has really become a thing recently, you know, whether it's looks maxing or trans maxing or we see it across society. And when I want to talk about the allure of it and if we could create an iteration of it that is healthy because a lot of it is just almost intrinsically unhealthy. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you are. So I understand why it's emotionally appealing, right? This idea of I'm just going to go a hundred percent whole hog into whatever thing it is I'm doing. I'm just going to yeah. say, okay, at every level, how do I optimize the outcome? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That I'm trying to achieve. And that can create this sort of Zen state. Yeah. It's a sort of forced hedonistic stoicism where it's hedonistic in that you're maxing a thing, yeah. but it's stoic in that you are as intelligently as possible trying to think through how do I actually maximize this thing hmm. and as disinterestedly and soberly as possible. And that can create you to view things in a very different way. And it's much easier to apply that to a specific modality than it is to say, well, what if I took this maxing mindset and applied it to my entire life? Mm. So that's one thing that we wanted to talk about with this. But then we wanted to say all of this within the context of if we're creating healthy maxing, well, then we need to think about maxing as a cultural group. Like, how do you max our cultural group? And this comes to defining our cultural group outside of just our religion or whatever, right? I mean, like the wider group, the type of people who watch our videos, the type of people who are part of this sort of new conservative movement in America. Mm -hmm. And I think a really good acronym for engaging with this group is not one that applies to it, but one that applies to another group, which is tessacralism. Have you heard of this? What? No. I'm picturing so, weird hats. Is this okay? 
It's used to explain like the cluster of things that EAs are into. Transhumanism, extra panism, uh, extra singularitarianism, okay. cosmism, rationalism, effective altruism, and long-termism. Mm -hmm. I mean, you definitely see some of these transhumanism, singularitarianism, rationalism, effective altruism, and long-termism definitely like cluster together within this community. Sure. And one of the things that I've noted is that within our community, you get a separate area of clustered interests, which are education reform or working on alternate education systems, mm -hmm. space travel, like interested in making us an interplanetary species. Bioaccelerationism, you know, so sort of like trying to do like our, our use of genetic technology with our kids right. or artificial wounds or stuff like that. AI accelerationism, I'd actually argue with the other community, anti-AIism or, or AI panic <laughs> is, is a core aspect of their philosophy. Yeah. Anti-censorship, economic liberalism. So mm -hmm. basically economic side of libertarianism, like mm -hmm. looser government controls and stuff like that. Often mm -hmm. this is seen in like city state interests, like being interested in like creating outside city states. And Sovereignty. Stuff like yeah. Yeah. Pro-sexuality, but not engaged in sexuality hedonistically, but just yeah. interesting from like a, a study perspective. Like they're not afraid to engage with it, but mm. they don't engage with it to hedonistically please themselves. Yeah, that checks out. And nerd culture. And maybe somebody can come up with some sort of acronym for this group. But I was like, well, could you create through combining these different philosophies and why this group has these different philosophies? So what's actually like driving this group to have all these different philosophies that differentiate so much from the EA community? I think the EA community, above all things, is driven by a terrified fear of death and not existing anymore. Mm. They're so afraid of AI killing them all. They're so afraid of progress. They're so afraid of dying. You know, life extensionism is critical for them. Right. Like digitizing the human mind is critical for them. This focus on both maintaining stasis and then within that stasis, making it as pleasant as possible. Mm. Whereas this other group, they are much more interested in moving forwards as quickly as possible and in intergenerationally improving as much as possible while seeing themselves as disposable. One of the, you know, obviously I'd say one of the avatars. No, I would, so I, I would word that a little bit differently. I would say, you know, by having a very different definition of what self is that is more yeah. expansive than the individual biological being or some kind of continuous consciousness. The point being is that all of these ideologies are based on one specific outcome, which is building a sort of a pluralistic, intergenerationally improving and robust humanity. And robust means multiplanetary almost intrinsically and expanding, right? Creating yeah. the seeds of what becomes the human empire, the great interplanetary human empire. And that this is something that can be maxed. Dedicating your life to this philosophy is something that can be maxed. And I guess I'll call it pragmaxing. And I'll, I'll make a little thing. Because it's something that I think a lot of people would feel is worth spending their lives on. You know, uh, as we've said, one of the books that is core to our ideology, probably the most core other than the Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion, is... The martyrdom of man. Mm -hmm. um, 
this book, all the parts that you would want to read from it are quoted in the Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion, so you don't need to buy it separately. It was written a really long time ago. In fact, it was canonically Sherlock Holmes's favorite book. And in the real world, it was the favorite book of people like Cecil Rhodes, who created the Rhodes Scholarship, but also less more ignominiously. Posthumously canceled. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of like big deal like people throughout history have really taken this book and i think we've forgotten it because the author died so young mm. but he did contribute to other books like he contributed to the descent of man charles darwin's you know book on the evolution of humanity which is really interesting i didn't know that until i was reading about this recently well, i didn't either well wow. <laughs> so but the core thesis of the book is that mankind is constantly martyring themselves for future generations mm -hmm. and he has this whole passage in the book which i absolutely love basically written exactly to you, the reader in the 21st century, saying, don't you dare question us for what we're doing in our time in the same way that we wouldn't question our ancestors because we live such privileged lives because of the sacrifices that they made for us. Mm. And that this intergenerational process is something that we can all indulge in. Martyrdom is always something an individual can indulge in. But it's very important, and this is something that you were making clear to me earlier today, that indulging in martyrdom is not indulging in suffering. Mm -mm. If you are truly pragmaxing, you are both eschewing indulging in suffering or indulging in happiness. Both mm -hmm. emotional subsets can lead to just as much inefficiency. Do you want to talk about this? Because you were really passionate about that this morning. Uh, yeah, I... We were talking, you, you and I were disagreeing about the fact, I, I argued, for example, that that suffering isn't important or doesn't matter in the same way that pleasure doesn't matter. And that there are lots of people who totally miss skip a beat and they're like, oh, pleasure is bad. It's sinful. Therefore, suffering is good. And I'm going to achieve purity or somehow become morally better by suffering. And they become obsessed with suffering and showing that they're suffering. And like genuinely, I think you can become obsessed with suffering and sort of just like accidentally masochistic. So like you become a suffering maxer. And there are lots of, I think, people throughout history, especially in the Catholic Church, who kind of can be seen as doing this. And I think that is just as sinful as maximizing pleasure, for sure, because you're missing the point. You've lost the plot. Yeah. And, and we should point out the Catholic sects that, that engage, that many people would think engage in suffering actually don't that much right. in the way that she's saying. Right. So if you talk about the Opus Dei, they're the Catholic sect that's famous for whipping themselves and stuff. They do that to have better emotional control. They are supposed to always smile and always act happy around anyone that they're engaging with and to always feel happy because that is something that they are supposed to be able to emotionally control. And that if you're actually around Opus Dei people, they are remarkably cheery people uh, because they do have this emotional control. Mm -hmm. So it's more just people who lose the plot. This isn't actually Catholic teaching that you should do this, but yeah. sometimes people miss it. They see the aesthetics of suffering and they're like, oh, I'm gonna go all the way with that. Mm -hmm. And th this is something that, that anyone can accidentally end up doing. So what does it really mean to pragmax it? If we're framing it this way, like living for this value set, the human empire, the pluralistic, thriving, multi-planetary humanity that has become, you know, this outwardly expanding force in the universe and this force of good in the universe for a form of humanity that is, you know, as he calls it in the martyrdom of man, you radiant beings of which I cannot even imagine, you know, that has become something that is perhaps even alien to us today. How do you dedicate yourself to that? What does it look like to max around this? Right. And I would say this is what it looks like. It's basically 
four simple steps. And we actually outline this in the Pragmatist Guide to Life. First, you determine what has value. In this case, you know, we sort of laid it out, but you could determine slight iterations of this. This is the thing that has value in the universe. Then you say, how do I maximize that thing in the universe? And this will involve different things at different stages of your life. When you're young, it might be wife finding maxing. It might be education maxing. How do I actually maximize myself to be the ultimate educated tool when I become an adult? How do I maximize myself to find the perfect spouse before I become an adult? At our age, it could be parent maxing. Okay, freeze all the eggs during the year of the harvest. Go through them, genetically select them. You know, the output as many uh, humans as possible. Give them the perfect environment. Oh, the education system's not good. Let's create a new one. This is something that we can all do together because when we create one of these resources, like the school that we're creating, hopefully it's usable by all other people who are pragmaxing. And the people who are pragmaxing, one of the key things that I think is important to the concept of pragmaxing, which we've talked about in other videos, is that not every individual is born the same. Some people are actually born smarter than other people, taller than other people, with more resources than other people. And depending on your circumstances, a different path may be the optimal path to pragmax. Having kids isn't the way that everybody pragmaxes. There could be other ways you could support the development of this human empire and the forces that are arrayed against it in the world today. I mean, what's so great about pronatalism and this larger movement is our enemies, like as I say, I actually think ethilism is logically consistent. This is the negative utilitarian beliefs that we'll discuss in a video I'll, I'll link to. It's a video on uh, these academics want to kill all life in the universe. They basically believe that suffering is the only thing that matters, and the goal of every human should be to end any potential of suffering in the future. That means killing all life in the universe and any potential for life coming to exist in the universe. And what's fun is we have these two diametrically opposed movements, the one that's tied to the pronatalist movement and one that's tied to the antinatalist movement. And it feels so nice to have an an opposing force that I can be so assured is evil that they have an authoritarian philosophy. It only works if everyone believes what they believe. They have well, they would to never say They would never say they're authoritarian. Let's be well, clear. It's, yeah, but it's intrinsically authoritarian because they it do is. say that it only works if everyone believes this or they kill everyone who doesn't believe it. Whereas the pragmatist movement is totally happy with their movement existing so long as they don't mess with us. It's an intrinsically pluralistic movement that thrives on our differences. It's a movement that says, oh, we're okay with you guys. It's a movement that wants to make humanity better, happier, even though happiness doesn't matter. It's an intrinsic part of the, the, the things that we're doing. Uh, thriving, more complicated, in more places, and able to assist other species as we run across them in so far as they are not a threat to us. And this divide between this open, optimistic, forward-thinking, pluralistic movement and this movement that is authoritarian and wants to erase all life in the universe, it's fun that we're living in an era, I think, of real heroes and villains. And that you can choose to dedicate yourself to this. The key and what makes it different from other types of maxing is that you are, you want to understand that there isn't one way to maximize for it. You know, an individual who is born in a circumstance where 
you know, finding a partner isn't in the cards for them can still 100% participate in it, but in different ways. An individual throughout your life, you're going to have different mini games that you're playing. And mm -hmm. the great thing is your biology is adapted to this, man. Like when it, it, one of the saddest things I ever see is that so many people, they're playing the games from earlier ages. You know, they're in their thirties and they're trying to like maximize sexual partners. And it's like, bro, that's sad because you're still going to be doing that when you're in your eighties, you know, you get to play different games at different parts of our life. And yeah, okay, you lost a game at one part of your life. And now that sort of changes the path that you're on. For example, you didn't get into this until you were 50. That means, okay, you don't have a spouse or something like that. Or you're never going to have kids that are biologically yours or something like that because technology is not going to catch up. Whatever, man, you got your own game you can make focused on the end goal. Was the question being, what am I trying to maximize? What do I think is a good path for our species? And then what can I personally do? And who can I personally become that best maximizes that outcome? Well, understanding that it's important whenever you absolutely attempt to do something without a single flaw in your plan, you end up destroying yourself. You know, I know that I do things that are antithetical to my goals, like drink beer, for example. But I also know that I am a flawed human being. You know, I am wretched. I am man. And that is part of our nature. We shouldn't expect more than that. But we can try for more than that because future iterations of us won't be the future radiant beings of which we can only dream in the words of Winrod Reed, who wrote The Martyrdom of Man. And I am excited for that. And people are like, one person in a comment, he goes, why are you trying to make the future a better place if you won't experience that future? Hmm. And it's like, bro, you are so missing the plot. So one, as Simone said, we have a different iteration of how we see ourselves. And that's cute. I don't think I'm meaningfully the same person I was 20 years ago. And I don't think I'm meaningly going to be the same person I was in 20 years. I think I am about as close to who I was at the age of four as I am to my kid, who's four. Like, we intergenerationally travel through our cultural groups, through our cultural clusters, and through our genetic lines sometimes. And that's fine, you know? Every human is to an extent a reflection of ourselves insofar as they are like us. And that to try to stay the same, to try to, if I lived for, let's say, 100,000 years, right? I would be such a radically different person at the end of that period that there is no way I would have any meaningful connection to who I am today. Yeah, it's pointless. It's pointless. The person you're going to be in even 10 years is not going to be you. So why are you trying to preserve it? Like, yeah, and if just... I did try to preserve it, if I did successfully preserve it, if in 100,000 years I was meaningfully the same person I am today, well, then I didn't improve. Yeah. I didn't better myself and I shouldn't still be around. I am a pointless, wretched thing if I improve so little over 100,000 years that I am still recognizable as a Malcolm. That is sad and sickening. And so why do I care that I can't see the better world that I'm trying to create? It is a world not meant for me. It is a world that I would sully with my very presence. Moses on the mountain, you are not meant to live in the promised land because you are wretched. Mm. You are trying to lead the way for the people who will get to experience the promised land because they deserve it in a way that not a single person alive today does. Right. But it's extremely hard 
for someone who grows up in today's society that speaks exactly the opposite message to wrap their head around something like that? Like I think it's, it might be hard to wrap their head around it, but when you let go, when you say, look, the, what this world is presenting me with isn't working. Like, clearly it's not working. I see it in my friends. They're all depressed and seeing all these psychologists and have all these mental health issues. And uh, society isn't working, the one that I'm a member of. When you mm -hmm. see that, you think, well, maybe I could just try a different way of looking at the world. I can just try a mental framing for a while. Try pragmaxing for a while. You might find it works remarkably good. And it fits remarkably snugly. Because I believe it is how we were made to pursue life as humans, because we know that we are actually living as meaningful a life as we can. I mean, as uh, I, I would say, like, as post industrial or post tech age humans, I mean, in the past, really, humans were just trying to survive. Let's be honest with ourselves. I don't think that's true at all. Really? Uh, you look at the Victorian period where this book comes from. Mm. Whenever somebody was able to escape the grind was in these older Yeah, whenever periods. they were wealthy or privileged enough, whenever they weren't trying to survive, but most people were just trying to survive. Right. But those were the ones moving society forwards. We, the blessed ones who have inherited all of their sacrifices and the benefits of all of their sacrifices, most of us live in a world where we don't have to dedicate our lives to just trying to survive. That's true. Most of us, most of the listeners of this podcast... Yeah, you might have a grueling nine to five or longer, let's be honest today, but almost everyone can do something to try to move society forward, to try to move the world forward in a way that historically people couldn't do. Because I, I think one thing, if you haven't studied history, is we vastly underestimate how horrifying the lives were of the average person. And as Winwood Reed wrote in, this was like in the 1870s, 1860s, he pointed out that even in his age, the average British person lived a life better than the kings of the Anglo-Saxon period. Yeah. And he was right about that. And I'd say today, the average person lives a life better than the queen during that period. You know, this is the cycle that we are a part of. And... I am excited for that. And I understand you can be like, well, it can be hard to reframe yourself around it. And I know not everyone is meant to, but some people will see this as a potential message that they can optimize around. They get maxing, but they don't want to max something pointless like looks. Like why do looks matter? I, 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 uh, okay, okay, yeah. Saying why do looks matter is like saying why does intelligence matter? Why does height matter? Why does what, money why, matter? They, they I can help. Saying why does height matter? Why does intelligence matter? Looks, yeah. Help. Maxing height educating helps. yourself does money matter because helps. it can help you see the world better. It can help you see the world more true. And through that, you can better choose what you're maxing for. Maxing for looks gives you no additional real utility. What? Attractive people are treated differently. So? Women um, are treated differently. This yes. is why these two communities overlap so much. The people who are like, well, I'll be treated better potentially. Yeah. It, 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 no, come on, Simone. Be, be realistic here. Yeah, they're treated better. You get an easier life. That's a hedonistic objective function. Uh, hedonistic objective functions always destroy you. You know, what if, yeah, but if you want to influence society in various ways, if you want to rally people around a cause that is important, like all these things are easier when you're attractive. So that could be a form of pragmaxing. If you are looks maxing for the influence it is giving you, yeah. but 
then you are only looks maxing within certain parameters. Yeah. You are not infinitely looks maxing. Yeah. You are looks maxing with a specific goal yes. while keeping in mind that there are types of looks maxing that may not be attractiveness, which can achieve that end. Yeah. If you look looks max to look like a certain stereotype of a certain person within society that people listen to, you can achieve more reach. You can looks max to be like Gorlock the Destroyer. You know, everyone's familiar with that meme. I'll, I'll post a, a picture of it. People will pay more attention to her than every other woman at that table, so long as she's saying interesting things because she looks maxed in an interesting way while combined with personality maxing and everything like that. Yeah. Drag maxing is about understanding why you are doing this, not just so that things can be easier for you, Fair. but so that you can achieve some greater goal in the world. Yeah, that's that's broadly fair. So, but while also understanding that what you are maxing for is going to shift as you age to achieve this outcome, and that again, you shouldn't try to achieve what the you know everyone else in your community is doing. You play a specific role. We all play a certain role in this grand design, and you are best positioned to know what role you are most likely to be able to maximize. And I'm excited for that. I'm excited that we live in an age, as you said, historically, yeah, there were people in the Victorian period who were able to move society forward because they were born with wealth and privilege. We live in a world today where, you know, 80% of Americans are functionally born with that level of wealth and privilege. That they yeah. have the option to think on their own. I think we that is part of why we're having this awakening that, oh shit, the powers in our society are lying to us. The media is lying to us. These organizations are lying to us because the average person can think for themselves now and can help defeat these organizations that had hoped to imprison humanity in an age of stagnation. And that is fundamentally what I think the traditionalist EA movement was all about. That's what they meant when they say, you know, I'm afraid of AI advancing. I am afraid of, I am afraid of dying, you know, so I've got to do life extensionism. I am afraid of the world really changing. Uh, we talk about this in our villain video, which is interesting, that so much of our media today, the person who wants to change the world is the villain. And then the person who is attempting to maintain the status quo is the hero. I mean, this is constantly the, the theme of, of Kingsman. I'm not saying I agree with all the villains of Kingsman. <laughs> it's status quo versus change the world. They have tried yeah. to drill this into your head was power in any system always benefit from the status quo <laughs> that is what allows them to maintain their power thus people with power in a culture will always frame anyone trying to make things better trying to change things as the villain but and i can tell you this with certainty the real heroes in this world are never the people fighting to maintain the status quo. They are people with a vision for how they can make the world a better place and who act on that vision. Now, it's possible to try to make the world a better place and still be a villain, but it is impossible to be a hero and fight for the status quo. When we look through history, when we look at the people who have really moved our society forward, these were people who were most often hated by the people of 
in positions of power within their lifetime and framed as villains by the people with positions of power in their lifetimes. And as that one person said, Malcolm, how can you do all of this when you won't receive any of the rewards for your actions, when you won't get to live in that world that you are potentially creating or receive any accolades from the the masses? I'm already receiving all of the benefits any human actually fighting for good can hope for, which is to know that if they succeed, that in the future, people will be appreciative of what they've done or did or sacrificed. And if they fail, then they are undeserving of any appreciation. So I should work every day to be among the elect, those who do make the world a better place, those whose lives did have a positive impact on human history and human flourishing. I don't choose whether or not my life matters, but I do choose whether or not my life might matter. And my efforts control the probability as to whether or not my life might matter. And that is a great thing because not every human in human history had that potentiality when they were born. But almost everyone listening to this podcast does. So the question is, do you take that burden? Do you bear that responsibility? Or do you shirk it in the pursuit of vanity and hedonism? But enough people are waking up now that if just... The competent people who are free from the system work together and decide for themselves how to best impact this change that we could see in the world. We can do it. We can do it. We can really do it. It's a winnable battle. If the channel had a motto, it would be, thank God our enemies are not as competent as they are malevolent. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. Max for a purpose. And I'm sorry for your coughing. That looks really painful. I am dying again. But you see, you are showing happiness to our audience because they don't need to suffer for your suffering. They do not. I don't need to suffer for your suffering. And no, I you don't. Thanks, Malcolm. I very so much I know you go through a lot to create this constant heaven that I live in. As do you. And it's 100% worth it. I love it. Very You're satisfying. <laughs> And I want you to answer the question that the person mm-hmm. asked. I think it's an important question. Why are you trying to create a better world even if you won't be able to live in it? It's, it's such a bizarre question. I mean, right? Because that's the game. You leave the campsite better off than when you came. You want to create a better world for your children. Everything is iterative. You're trying to get better. This is a relay race where you're trying to, you know, end up with someone a little bit further ahead, move us along. I I think it's, it shows how, when you have framed the world from this ultra progressive, you know, urban monoculture virus, the cult, whatever you want to call it, mindset, Hmm. things that we would think are just obvious can seem like insane. Why would I want to improve things for anyone that's not me? Yeah. Why would I? We see this in the inverse when we look at antinatalists or elephants. They couldn't understand a world in which a complete obsession with suffering and or pleasure is not paramount. Yeah. It's just cultural differences. That's all. You know, we, we don't see ourselves the same way that other groups see ourselves. We don't see pleasure or pain the same way other people see themselves. And we have extremely clear values that are not what you would call normative. So... I think you're wrong. I think, mm-hmm. I think everyone who thinks about it comes to our value set. I think this is why we see it bubbling up. Well, I think you know most people who have kids, especially if they have kids, mm-hmm. not as props or pets to make them happy. 
yeah. um, hold this view. Definitely, they, you know, everything becomes about giving them a better shot, 100%. But I also know that a lot of people have kids as hedonic pets or props as part of a. Oh, absolutely. You're right. Yeah, and this is what he says in The Martyrdom of Man. He says, that regardless of whether or not, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, regardless of whether or not you're in a position where you can engage with philanthropy or advanced science, that doesn't matter. You have lived a good life insofar as you have tried to make the next generation better than the last. Yeah. That's our thing. I love yeah. you, Simone. I, did. I love you too. Man. 